Hello, hello, it's Dr. Jason Lee. I'm joined by Brianne Hurdle again. This is season six, episode three. Hello, Brianne. Hi, Jason, how are you? Good, good. And this episode is sponsored by Pfizer uh, Canada again. And we're going to be talking in this episode about, you know, common and uncommon food allergies, because a lot of people think some things are very common, but they're not. And other people think, you know, side effects are common allergies, but they're not either. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, Brianne, what do you think are some of the common things that people are allergic to and they have anaphylactic reactions to? I think the most common ones from what I've learned is nuts, uh, shellfish, dairy, wheat. Those are some of the most common, I would, I would assume, allergies that people yeah, are absolutely. You, you nailed a lot of them. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, by far and away, the number one most common allergy in North America is mm -hmm. peanuts. Um, mm -hmm. And interesting fact, a peanut is not technically a nut. It's... Uh, you know, what would you guess? Because a lot of people think it's a nut because it's hard. I know it's, isn't it a legume? It's like, yes, it's, not, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's a legume. Yeah. So it's, um, and it's something about, a, I, I don't know if it's fungus or something on it. There's like, I don't, you'd have to educate me in that. Some molds that grow on it, but um, right. you know, peanut is also called in other parts of the world, um, you know, a ground nut or um you know, there's all sorts of names that people attribute to it, depending on the part of the world. Um, if you are allergic to peanut, which is, I mentioned, number one in North America, but not everywhere in the world, actually. So this top five, top 10 list of allergens actually differs depending on what country you're in. So every country has their own list of, you know, top, top you know, five or 10 food allergies. And it really is in North America and most of Western Europe where it is the number one allergy. So, oh. yeah, weird, huh? And if you go to like, you know, most places in uh, in East Asia, for example, the number one food allergy becomes uh, shrimp. So crustaceans like shrimp, crab, lobster, crayfish kind of thing. So it, it really is kind of interesting how there's, you know, regional differences and uh, what people are allergic to. That's interesting. What do you think that comes down to? Is that environment like a micro, like the, the soil and the micro, um, the it microbes in the soil? Yeah, but I think in the, you know, well, crustaceans are ocean, so that would be different. Like, I wonder what. Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting. So um, no one knows for sure. Let me just preface it there. And I certainly don't know. Um, but, you know, there's many um, ideas out there that have some evidence. So, you know, for example, um, you know, the peanut things, we talked about how things that we have done in the past have increased the peanut, you know, sensitization and allergies in people. Um and in most East Asia, they didn't have this sort of peanut avoidance kind of uh, strategy that they officially had medically. So, mm -hmm. you know, they, they had kids eating peanut in different forms uh, and various forms and, you know, had less peanut allergies develop. Another theory is, you know, how you prepare the peanut is important. So when you boil a peanut, which is how kind of like a lot of the East Asian countries uh, ingest peanut, you actually mm -hmm. decrease the allergenicity of the um, protein. Interesting, but, of course. Yeah, when you cold press it, like in peanut butter and how, how peanut butter is prepared, you actually increase the allergenicity. And, you know, we talked about that little fit in the groove that may be mm -hmm. more propensity to react. So it really is interesting how that comes about. The other foods uh, you mentioned are, are very common as well. Wheat, egg, uh, dairy, 
you know, soy comes up uh, quite a bit as well. And again, you know, I, I can't give you a specific list because it does differ for every country and even within the country, the, the region. So, you know, generally the top 20 things are similar in most countries and places, but the mm-hmm. order and ranking is different per, per study that you read. It's, uh, it's kind of fascinating how that works. Oh, that is fascinating. I wonder if it's due to like ethnicity, like the ethnic I, that's just I I wouldn't I, I would never no I don't think anybody would assume that that's I love that like, uh, that thought uh, Brianne so you know when you take um this is kind of how they figured out the early exposure thing too before that leap trial I mentioned which is a randomized control mm-hmm. trial you know before you have this randomized gold standard level of you know proof you have other proof right so they wanted to control for ethnicity so they looked at uh, for example Israeli uh, children who have uh, less propensity for peanut allergies mm-hmm. and they compared the same ethnicity the same jewish population and the uk population and in the uk the same sort of genetics would lead you to have much more peanut allergies than if you mm-hmm. were growing up in israel so then the question is yeah why, why do they have less peanut allergy with the same genes yeah and presumably like very you know somewhat similar diet so uh, but the answer was really in the diet. And it turned out uh, Israeli children that had this little snack called bomba stick or something, which is like a mm-hmm. stick made out of peanut stuff. And then the baby suck on it as part of their teething. So again, early exposure kind of protected. Early them. exposure. There yeah. you go. And maybe just culturally, it's different with every culture. They just introduce different foods and they have different methods of. Yeah. It's, young it's children. very interesting. And then, you know, in parts in South America, um, they have another uh, legume called uh, lupine or lupine. I don't know how to pronounce mm-hmm. it. But that's the only one legume that is very similar enough to peanut, where, where if you're allergic to peanut, you'll also react to lupine. Um, and um. yeah, another, a very common misconception about this is that if you're allergic to peanut because it's a legume, you may be allergic to other legumes like soy, you know, or when you eat edamame or something to that effect. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Huh. That's fascinating. And I know in our last um, chat, I know we brought up bananas and latex because yeah. it was such an odd thing that I've heard like from my past that somebody could be allergic to bananas. But what are some other foods that um, uh, would be uncommon foods yeah. so- to be allergic to? I'll give you a perfect one. So when you see, like, sometimes when you go to the U.S. and travel and see their commercials, so they have, you know, direct-to-consumer advertising for medications, which we don't allow in, in Canada, by the way. But in the U.S., they, are, they have a lot of these ads. And when you look at ads for things like Benadryl, they always mm-hmm. have strawberry allergen. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because strawberries, uh, to this day, I've seen one patient with a strawberry allergy in my, you know, 14 years of practice. So it's a very uncommon allergy. But mm-hmm. what strawberries, uh, you know, tr- strawberries have that intrinsic property to themselves. Uh, like we talked about this with the question about sensitivities versus allergies the, uh, and intolerance the other day. Um, right. A strawberry has uh, a property unique to it. It's like, it's called lectins. Some other foods have it as well. But when you eat enough strawberries, you get enough of the lectins that it can contribute to hives. Yeah, my sister used to get them when she was a baby. There you go. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, 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 it's another thing on a bell curve. So some people are very sensitive to this effect. Uh, so they have a few strawberries and they get hives and better swelling uh, in their lips and they think they're allergic. Uh, but other people, you know, it'll take like 200 strawberries to have this effect. So, you know, it's kind of interesting how 
uh, each food kind of had its own little unique uh, sort of properties to it, right? And some people mm-hmm. are sensitive to that. So that's a common one where people think it's um, a very common allergy, but an, an, it's actually in reality an uncommon cause of anaphylaxis because it's not a true allergy. Right. Yeah. No, my sister was sensitive to strawberries when she was a baby, but she she outgrew it. She used oh, to break out in hives. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, what about meat? Can you be allergic to meat? Yeah. So this is a fascinating one. And, you know, it, it, this sort of information came out when I was a fellow back in 2008, learning uh, the specialty of allergy and immunology. Um, and I was very skeptical when I learned this because, you know, you hear about people who are allergic to all sorts of uh, red meat. And uh, you had asked me on the previous episode, you know, can you be allergic to sugars? And I said, no, unless it's part of a, a protein as a glycopeptide. And so there's a unique phenomena that occurs when you get bitten by something called a lone star tick. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you get bitten by this lone star tick, which is in a lot of, uh, you know, most parts of the U.S. actually, it, mm-hmm. uh, it has actually crept up into uh, parts of uh, Southern Ontario. And, you know, it's a tick that can live reasonably well as long as the temperatures are not too cold. When you get bitten by this tick, um, your body will form antibodies to some of the proteins that are in the tick saliva. Mm -hmm. And those antibodies resemble a sugar protein, so a glycolipid uh, called alpha-gal. So when you react to this, you form an allergy antibody to the sugar protein found in red meat. Interesting. Yeah. And then you'll have a reaction to these, to each time you eat red meat. But this is also tricky because it's not an immediate allergy. So most allergies by, you know, by design are designed to protect you instantly in the event of an insect or something boring into your skin. Remember, this is part of the parasitic arm of the immune system but in alpha gal it's it's different so it occurs about four to six hours after hours after ingestion Mm. so people have a hard time uh, putting two and two together um i think i can't remember which newspaper was brianne but uh i read a you know report of someone who was diagnosed with this in ontario and um basically this pair poor patient had gone to three different allergy doctors and you know no one could quite figure it out because the timing was so off from the food ingestion mm-hmm. they just wanted something else uh, but uh, you know I don't know how many people in BC have had this um, it is a test that we can test for now uh, in, in a commercial available lab uh, you've mm-hmm. got to um, ask for the alpha gal test and it'll tell you if you're allergic to this sugar protein and red meat Interesting. So that is this just beef then? Just beef, or oh, is it, it any red meat? Uh, that's like oh, okay. alpha gal uh, sort of. Uh, alpha gal. Morning, Interesting. Uh, um, ah. you know, meat itself, some people are allergic to, but it's huh. very uncommon. Very right. Uncommon. Oh, interesting. Huh. Wow. What else would be considered an uncommon food? Um, um, so here's one I hear all the time, and. Um, you know, I, I don't know what happened uh, with allergists practicing in the 1970s and 80s, but they told everyone they're allergic to chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're, they told everyone they're allergic to tobacco too, right? Um, wow. So <clears throat> both are possible, but it's very unlikely. So a true chocolate allergy is extremely rare. 
okay? Like mm. almost never happens. And when people react to chocolate, it's often that they actually have a tree nut allergy and they're reacting to trace amounts of tree nuts rather than the, you know, cocoa itself. Oh, interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I've never heard of anybody being allergic to chocolate. I wish I was. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear it all the time, believe it or not. And it's it's weird because, and you know, it's always like, Okay, so you saw an allergist and they told you, yeah, yeah, and they'll say, yeah, in the 1980s or sometime or something mm. to that effect. I'm like wondering, how do they do this? So, you know, I used to test people to chocolate all the time just to kind of, you know, reassure them that they're not actually allergic. Right. Isn't that interesting? Tobacco huh. is the other one I mentioned. Um, again, yes. you know, uh, smoking and, you know, anytime you, you know, combust something, uh, you mm -hmm. have things that are like, you know, components of, whatever you're combusting and, you know, incomplete combustion too. Um, and these can irritate, but people are, they can be allergic to tobacco leaves, but it's very uncommon as well. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's much more common. And I, I see this almost every single day now in my practice of people being allergic to marijuana. Okay. Oh. And yeah. So they smoke it and they get, you know, not only the combustion, you know, effects, but they get the bronchospasm as part of the allergic response or they'll ingest it and get hives and things like that after. Oh, and um, okay. yeah, it was hard to study because it was hard to, you know, acquire um, standardized marijuana and things like that, especially when, when it was still you know, illegal. illegal. Yeah. So yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. Now we yeah. know a lot more about it. I was going to say our world is changing quickly, isn't it? What it, about it, um, food diet, Jason? I know I've heard this one, especially from um, parents who have kids that are either on the spectrum or um, have mental health issues. And they say that food dyes can play a huge role, but what about allergies? Like, can you be allergic to food? Yeah. Dyes? So the, um, this is really fascinating. Um, and there was, it just made the news too, because it's people don't really think about it. When you use um, natural um, red dye, guess what that natural red dye mm -hmm. is made out of? If you like, you, it's going to gross you out when you find out again. Isn't it some sort of like bug beetle or yes. something? It's yes. a ground up beetle. Okay. It is and ground up beetle. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's the red ground up beetle, which gives it the red natural uh, dye. And, you know, people call it carmine. Uh, it goes by a few other names as well. But mm -hmm. when you ingest this, you can have allergic reactions. And if you have a cockroach allergy, you're much more likely to react to this red dye as well. Because they share some of the same wow. proteins through evolution. Okay, interesting. Well, I know that some people because makeup actually holds a lot of red dye and people can be allergic to red pigment, like the pigment in makeup. Yeah, there's, a, like, there's quite, quite a few uh, of these things that especially like animal or, you know, insects are technically animals too. Mm -hmm. So any animal based dyes, it is possible to have an allergic reaction to because again, it's foreign to you and you know, your body wants to protect you from these kind of things. Of course. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. There's so much controversy about food diet and how it's not very good for you, but um, yeah. Interesting for, but not anaphylactic. Is this more of a sensitivity or is it? Well, people um, can uh, anaphylax to the carmine thing. Oh, can they? And then, you know, it's, it's oh. not like, we don't know how this happens, but tartrazine, uh, which is in yellow dyes can sometimes cause people to react uh, with uh, mm -hmm. some, you know, itchiness and, and swelling. So you know, again, the exact mechanism, we don't know, because it seems to be not dependent on the allergy antibody. Um, mm. But, you know, the allergy cells, they don't always need this antibody to react, they can react in other ways that are non allergic as well. So it's kind of 
confusing because allergists can never agree on the nomenclature or the terminology to use. So they used to call these uh, anaphylactoid reactions, meaning it's mm -hmm. not anaphylaxis because it doesn't rely on IgE, but it relies on some other way that's indistinguishable from anaphylaxis. Interesting. Wow. That's crazy. Um, I'm trying to think of other foods that, that people would be, um, or that would be uncommon, but I'm, I'm not sure. Is there anything else that we're missing? I read yeah, something um, about avocados. Avocados is a very common one. Um, oh, it is common. And yeah. So it's kind of like in the realm of um, the banana uh, latex uh, family. Uh, and then I think in the last episode, I forgot to mention chestnut as well. Uh, chestnut is a, is a cross-reactive one to bananas and latex as well. But oh, yeah, it, it doesn't mean that every person will have all of these cross-reactive ones. It just means there's an increased chance uh, that you, if you're allergic to one of these, you'll be allergic to the other ones. Mm, interesting. What about spices? Is it common oh, to be allergic to spices? I love this question. Oh, okay. So um, yes, you can be allergic to spices, especially if you're allergic to a weed uh, a very common weed called mugwort. Okay. Mm, mugwort, so, yep. Yeah. So mugwort is, uh, you know, uh, related to, closely to celery. And mm -hmm. so there are many spices that go along with the mugwort celery spice. And there's actually a name for it. It's called mugwort celery spice syndrome, uh, where spices yeah. related to these guys, um, antigenically, like in structure, uh, will cause reactions as well. And again, this is a hard one to, for the average doctor and allergist to kind of diagnose because unless they you know um see this a lot it's not something that people commit to memory even, even amongst allergists like so you often have to check a chart or something to see what are the related uh, groups and you know what spices are common and often we rely on patients to uh, to tell us, you know, what's the one common ingredient in all of these foods, right? Right. Uh, that you're reacting because they seem to be unrelated dishes, but yet you're reacting. Mm -hmm. Process of elimination. Um, what about um, uh, preservatives, Jason? Can people be allergic to preservatives like nitrates, for example, like in cured meats? Yeah. So, um, again, another great question. Um, so, nitrates uh, will break down into uh, both nitrous oxide and nitric oxide so nitric mm -hmm. oxide is actually a free radical so it'll, it's kind of has uh, oxidative stress and nitrous oxide um just you know it's it's the same thing as like laughing gas but obviously it doesn't break down to enough to make you laugh right i don't know some right. people laugh after uh, eating a subway or something but um <laughs> yes so these nitrates um can break down and in some people it kind of you know triggers a little bit of the mast cell activity, but usually not to the point of causing anaphylaxis. It's interesting, the, um, the cured meats though, and uh, you know, there's many other health kind of uh, risks that can be associated uh, with, with this. But uh, one of the things I'm finding lately is that we have a new test that we use for asthma patients now called uh, fractional exhaled nitric oxide. So that's like you're blue into a tube, <coughs> And it tells you kind of generally how much inflammation there is in your lungs. And when you eat like these, um, you know, like, I don't know, meats and things that you get from the deli, it actually <laughs> really influences this result. So in fact, you can't get an accurate result if you eat one of these things in like four hour period of time. Oh, wow. That's insane. Yeah, no, there's just like the chemicals in food and then preservatives. What about, okay. So biggest question, especially in some of the, uh, the work that I, that I do and, 
with holistic health coaching is carrageenan. And is there, is this, can people be allergic to carrageenan is because it inflames the yes. gut, but it's also a natural derivative of seaweed. Is it not like the natural absolutely, form? Absolutely. Yes. So it's used in as a, as a, like a thickening agent in a lot of yes. uh, things. Binding, and, yeah. uh, you know, it's actually found in a lot of ice creams as well. A lot of people don't know this, uh, mm. but yeah, it can actually absolutely cause uh, uh, anaphylactic reaction. Thankfully, mm. it's not very common though, but I have actually seen a couple of these in my career. Have you? Yeah, no, they're trying to eliminate it out of a lot of products because people can be super sensitive to it. And it's um, uh, all the health nuts out there don't like it, like soy beverages or almond milk, they all have carrageenan in them. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a very common ingredient. And uh, yeah. you know, sometimes it's hard for us to, as allergists to, you know, acquire these for testing, right? So, mm. you know, I have to thank one of my colleagues uh, out, out in Scarborough in, in Toronto here, who uh, has like a little uh, shop where he prepares these like, you know, uncommon ingredients for testing. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. that would, it would keep you busy. There's so much like food is again, right? Not a lot of food is really processed. So it's hard with more processed food more allergies seem to come up. It really that's, is smart. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's uh, fascinating. Yeah, there's so many things about um, restaurant food as well that uh, may predispose someone to having an allergic reaction. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, people don't realize that most restaurants use a lot more salt than uh, than you would at home when you're cooking on your mm -hmm. on your own. And you know, there's only a few tastes that people can, you know, um, like and, uh, you know, that are sort of a an immediate taste and draw for most uh, people. So restaurants do add, tend to add more sugar or salt. And yeah, yeah. Now salt, a, that's, a, yeah. that's a good question. Now, can you, can anybody be allergic to like salt or like, you know, like you think about natural things in the body, like sodium and magnesium and all these things like yeah. that our bodies technically need, like, is there rare cases where people actually can have some sort of bizarre reaction to yeah so if you um if you do anything in the extreme um you know eventually your kidneys are pretty good at maintaining like the 140 uh level of sodium in your body but you know right. acutely when you eat a lot it does transiently just kind of go up a little bit and mm. you know, we talked about this in a prior episode yeah. where the osmolality yeah. changes can actually make you more prone to allergic reactions so right. this can sometimes act as a cofactor if you have a huge salt load. And the other thing, mm -hmm. um, you know, on the topic of salt is monosodium uh, glutamine, right? Well, MSG, yes. uh, which yes. is uh, found in a lot of food. It, it is actually naturally occurring in yeast, uh, which a lot of people don't realize as well. But it is a good flavoring agent that a lot of restaurants use, again, for that taste factor. Right, MSG, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the transient, uh, you know, huge elevation of sodium um, relative to other things in your body, again, can change and irritate the, um, the osmolality balance and cause people more prone to reactions. But more typically with MSG, you get the uh, headaches and sometimes flushing and neck uh, symptoms. Mm -hmm. It really is all about keeping the body in equilibrium. When you overdo anything, it throws everything out of balance, out of whack. And then, <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> like it, it really is. Effect. And, yeah. and human beings, we evolved in an environment where there's not that much salt in our environment. Uh, no. but again, over the years, we've really increased the amount of salt that our bodies process and tolerate. Yeah, no, it's true. Well, when you cut salt out of your diet for one, then you go back and you use salt. It's like, whoa. Yeah, you can <laughs> taste it. It burns, right? Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Yeah, yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fascinating. That's just, it's, it's so many things that are so uncommon that you wouldn't think. Yeah. And then there's, th there's things that are very common, Brianne, that 
um, mm -hmm. cause allergic reactions, but don't, don't usually cause anaphylactic ones. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, this, this distinction is a little bit uh, different because allergic reaction and anaphylaxis is you know, part of a spectrum. So anaphylaxis mm -hmm. is, is more of a severe allergic reaction where it often mm -hmm. involves, you know, the skin and another system like your heart uh, or your lungs or your GI system. Um, but in many cases, um, anyone with a seasonal allergy, you have roughly about a 30% chance, 40% chance of having something called oral allergy syndrome we talked about or uh, food pollen allergy syndrome. So, you know, the most common one I see in my practice is people being allergic to birch, uh, the tree pollen, and reacting to foods along that are related to this, like cherries, apples, peaches. Uh, they happen to be so a lot of the pitted fruits. Um, Stone fruits, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, and then we also talked about how when you eat these foods, the stomach and uh, digestive system does a good job breaking down the proteins. So most of the allergen load is limited to the mouth and the symptoms are limited to the mouth, ears and back of the throat kind of thing, but usually not progressing to anaphylaxis. Interesting. Quick question. Um, how would a digestive enzyme influence um, allergies or would it? Would it help? Would it decrease? Would it exacerbate? Like how would a digestive enzyme yeah, so most digestive uh, enzymes, um, you know, break down big pieces of protein into small little bits that your body can mm -hmm. kind of absorb into your body. So mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about these, like, you know, protein loops and structures that your body recognizes, if it cuts it anywhere along that process, your body doesn't see it as part of that anymore. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, denaturing effect of heating too. it. It kind of changes its shape so that your antibody is kind of like a, almost like a lock and key, right? So it doesn't recognize that door anymore. Yeah. So um, yeah, digestive uh, enzymes will cut down a lot of these proteins. And, um, you know, it's interesting, uh, a lot of older adults who are put on stomach medications called proton pump inhibitors mm -hmm. um, will actually um, revert to having more of like a primitive gut, like when they're in during their infancy. So because the stomach acids and other things that normally break down proteins are shut down in the stomach, those allergens uh, that were normally broken down in the stomach are actually no longer broken down. And people can now develop allergies later on in adulthood as a re result of this medication. So, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because uh, a lot of physicians and including myself, I'm gu guilty of this as well. We think mm -hmm. of sometimes medications like proton pump inhibitors as being very benign, you know, not many side effects, risk benefit kind of thing. But these are some of the, you know, lesser known side effects, uh, so to speak, uh, that can result as a, you know, uh, taking these medications. So I had uh, one, one patient uh, who happens to be a physician uh, saying, you know, why the heck did I start this? I didn't even have that bad of heartburn. I'm like, because <laughs> he developed yeah. food allergies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, yeah. I know. Isn't that crazy that, yeah, no, I guess it can trigger a different, yeah, like my sister in pregnancy, same thing. She wound up with atopic dermatitis. So, and she's got it for life. Yeah, a lot, lot of little little changes that can uh, occur and uh yeah you know life is complicated right and and i say this to <laughs> patients all the time you can't really control for every single variable uh so you kind of have this approach where you hope for the best but uh, have to prepare it for the worst yeah absolutely huh well that's pretty fascinating stuff yeah absolutely mm -hmm. um yeah and you know just 
Is there anything else that you think that people may think is a common allergy or an uncommon one? When it comes to food, um, you know, oh, I actually had one person say they were allergic to, um, to coconuts and I'd never really heard that one before. So they couldn't do any coconut, like any flavoring, which I thought was weird because sometimes it's artificial flavoring. So I didn't really... Mm. Yeah, so sometimes people are allergic to coconuts, uh, but you know, coconut it's a bit of a misnomer too, because it's not actually a nut, really, right? It's no, uh, it's not. It's, it's, it's more like a fruit. Uh, it's a fruit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, again, um, you know, having said this, um, some people do have tree nut allergies and a coconut allergy, but again, it, it probably has nothing to do with the fact that it's a coconut per se. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I've seen a few coconut allergies, but it's not very common, and. Okay. Again, we asked the same question too. Like, you know, one of the things about peanut allergy, why it increased, I mentioned some of the peanut oils were used in uh, cosmetic and skincare products, uh, yeah. sunscreen uh, at one point, and, you know, uh, moisturizers, things like that. Um, everyone has taken to using uh, coconut uh, stuff for like yes, skincare coconut as well. oil. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's uh, interesting. So for, for some people, it works. That's great. Uh, but other people, it can potentially be a sensitizing route. And, um, you know, there's one study, again, it was small, but uh, showed a more of a propensity for, uh, you know, sort of skin uh, microbiome dysbiosis by p- putting this stuff on too. So, yeah. you know, you, you yeah. never really know. Uh, again, going back to that point, life is so complicated, right? And humans well, are so actually, coconut oil for eczema, like I get it and it makes it worse. And actually it, it causes inflammation in my skin. I have to use jojoba oil instead. Yeah. For some people it does uh, make it worse. And um, you know, um, that's kind of the thing about some plant proteins. It's unpredictable. So, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of people are okay with these things. Okay. But you mm-hmm. know, there's a small subset that will uh, the body for whatever reason will not like it, or it'll promote sort of uh, a dysbiosis. Um, you know, it's uh, one other interesting thing that came out was um, there was a huge study done on infants, uh, another infant one, where they thought that if you aggressively uh, moisturize the skin uh, very early with different emollients, things like that, you could actually prevent uh, allergies and other uh, atopic conditions from occurring. Uh, but you know what, guess what, the it actually made things worse over aggressively uh, moisturizing, because again, the dysbiosis in the skin, you're affecting what can and cannot grow on the skin. So of course, yeah. of course, that makes sense. What about water? I know somebody that actually had an allergy to water. Now, how uh, does this happen? This is a wild one. So it's not usually from drinking. Uh, it's usually yeah. from contact on the skin. Yes, on the skin. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called aquagenic urticaria. And mm-hmm. usually it does not lead to anaphylaxis, though. It usually causes hives. Mm-hmm. So this homeland security part of the immune system, the mast cells, they detect things that are different. So they detect the different temperature. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when the water bead like runs on your skin, it's kind of like mimics the emotion of like a bug or something, right? So mm-hmm. you react to, in an effort to protect you and it's really chemical warfare that your body is doing to protect you now the one way uh you could die from this condition you know it, it, it's possible it can affect your cardiovascular that's where it might kind of blur that line for the anaphylaxis diagnosis is that if your body gets covered in hives each one of these little hives release a little bit of histamine and mm-hmm. it could actually drop your blood pressure and you could pass out and if you happen to be in a big body of water um, yes. you can lose consciousness 
and dry. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I know my sister-in-law was um, had an allergy that like years ago in her 20s. It went away, oddly enough, but she was allergic to cold water. She'd drink, oh, wow. jump in a lake and break out in hives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And usually uh, for that, I advise don't go swimming. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. <laughs> if people don't always listen. And, and in which yeah. case, I give them an EpiPen and I should never go alone. Make sure you have a medical alert bracelet so you carry an yeah. EpiPen. And try to kind of do a graded approach a little bit to your ankles, a little bit to your knees, a little bit to your hips, and then kind of, you know, in 15-minute increments kind of thing. Right. Um, and are you, if you're allergic to, like, especially like antibiotics, like a common one is penicillin, does that make you at higher risk for having food allergies as well? Uh, not necessarily. So, um, you know, it turns out nine out of 10 people with the penicillin allergy label are actually non-allergic to begin with. And mm. even if you are uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you're more at risk for other allergies. You know, okay. I know, I remember laughing at the beginning of COVID because again, you know, I'm speaking to our poor public health communication, but uh, they were saying that if you had, if you have a history of allergies, you're more at risk for anaphylaxis to a COVID vaccine. And I'm thinking, mm. this, you you mean 60% of the population would be at more at risk? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know this yeah. messaging is so poor, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, it causes a lot of hysteria, but yeah, having one allergy does mean you're more likely to get more in the future. Uh, but, you know, predicting which one or which direction is, is really hard to say. Right. Of course. Huh. That's interesting. Wow. It's all the, 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 the human body is so, uh, it's such a mystery still. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the fascinating thing about uh, food uh, allergies and being an allergist is new allergies come up all the time, uh, like, you know, new foods. And, um, you know, you never know what is going to be sort of the new top 10 or top 20 food, because it does change every now and then something, uh, you know, will be, break into the top 10, for example, sesame uh, and sesame seeds. And it turns out people don't react to the seeds when they eat them on like a bun or something, but it's when they're ground that people react to because the proteins right. are broken down. And yeah, it's, it's kind of, you know, one of these quirks about food processing and, and technology of food preparation, changing how it can change things as well. Mm, fascinating. All right, uh, Brian, I guess uh, until next time, uh, that was a great chat today. Yeah, that's awesome, Jason. Thank you so much for the information. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you.